because Starbucks has this possibility to send them your idea for improvement of whatever it is, the process, the product, whatever you like or don't like about Starbucks, that other users can vote on. So you are invited to understand this subject better. And probably since this is ranked so highly by the community, you know this is important and probably you should include this in uh, in your roadmap. Lexigo presents The Native Experience with your host, Brian. Hello, world. This is Brian from Lexigo.com, and you're listening to The Native Experience Podcast, the show that can teach business advice from the experiences of an Ironman race. You know, you never know what you're going to learn on the show. This podcast is all about going beyond translation and localization and discussing creating truly native experiences for diverse audiences. Today, we're talking with Anjay Nadoma from Nadoma.io. Now, Anjay, not only is he with Nadoma.io, but he is the co-founder and ex-CEO of XTRF Management Systems, which is a global translation management platform provider for translation companies, in-house corporate language departments, and public organizations. His company has helped hundreds of translation and localization agencies in over 30 countries to leverage their potential. He has been building his translation industry expertise since 1996 as a co-owner, business development manager, and later managing director of a leading central European translation company. Now, in 2021, he sold XTRF to K1 Investment Management, and now Anjay supports various businesses and entrepreneurs worldwide as their business advisor, mentor, and accountability partner. Anjay also speaks four languages fluently. He is an engaged speaker, coach, advisor, sales trainer, and triathlete competing in the Ironman triathlon race that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So stay tuned for a great story. Let's rock it. Anjay, welcome to the Native Experience. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Hello, Brian, and welcome to everyone. Well, I'm glad you're here. It's going to be exciting. You've got quite a bit of experience in this, uh, the whole industry of localization, translation, language. I'm excited for all this. But first of all, let's get to know you a little bit. So tell us about yourself. Tell us what you do and also talk about some of the stuff you do for fun. Very good. Yeah, it's it's a long story related to language and localization industry. You know, I started somewhere probably in 91 when I was 12 years old and my father started his translation business and I was growing within uh, our apartment when uh, where he was delivering the translations as a freelance translator, translator first and then building his small company. I joined him full-time in 2002. This was when I really started to work in the industry, building with him the translation company, and it was called Lidlang. And then as, as we were growing the business, we realized how technology is important to grow the business, to, to be operating smoothly and quickly for our clients, to automate as much as possible, to provide a better service uh, and better value to our customers. So we needed technology and uh, we saw the opportunity in this, and this is how we initiated. I had this idea of XTRF management system. We'll surely cover this later in this show, but XTRF yeah. is an IT company within the localization industry. It's probably the brand through which most of people know me today. Both of these companies, the language in, uh, the language uh, company, the translation company, and the IT XTRF management system were sold recently. Mm-hmm. And since that time, I have lots of other entrepreneurs who come to me and say, Andrew, can you help us somehow do what you did, what you achieved, you know, grow internationally, build the organization, 
attract investors, sell the business. Can you help us with any of these? And quite naturally, I became consultant. I became mentor, coach mm-hmm. to other executives and other business owners. And I truly, I truly love sharing this experience, kind of reusing my experience to the benefit of others. That's a big part of what I'm doing right now about the hobbies. You asked about this triathlon is a big part of my life as well. This is swimming, cycling and running. And this is the, the sport that keeps my brain active, relaxed, which helps a lot in my business and in my private life. So sport is for me like a facilitator for both of these worlds, the, the professional one and the private one. But I really, I love doing it. And quite frankly, in a week of, uh, in a week from now, I'm participating in the first race this year. Oh, nice. Well, I love it. I love oh. being able to, uh, you know, you've, you've got this professional side, but then you get out and you get the exercise and get the sun and all that. And the outdoors so cool good luck yeah on that, hopefully that the sun you know i'm living in poland most of my uh, time <laughs> so it's not always sunny here yeah. but whenever I, whenever I have time to go to spain to italy or you know canary islands that's indeed the place where you can enjoy sun and the yeah. sport at the same time that's great well cool well i was going to ask you know one of the questions is what are you what are you currently nerding out on and passionate about right now but it sounds like you're you're training for the yeah. the race and that's that's what's coming up yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. You know, it, it takes quite a lot of time, but yeah. having three small kids, I have three uh, small daughters. Yeah. You know, it's hard to find time during the day for sport. So yeah, uh, yeah, it requires a lot of passion. So I have this drive. I want to train. I want to be ready for the, for the race. But at the same time, you know, training for triathlon, which is a long distance discipline. It's very similar to how you build business. So yeah. I, I find a lot of, you know, similarities in this. And basically this helps me also to shape my mind, you know, to, mm-hmm. to have this mindset, which allows you, which helps you to do something uh, with a longer term perspective. So it's not only about nerding out on, but also about having it as a very useful passion, I would say. Mm. Yeah, I love what you said there, because the the necessity, especially in business, like you said, long term is that need to endure and persevere and also have the the grit. I think people use that word grit quite a bit just because, you know, when the going yeah. gets tough, you've got to, you got to push through that. So that's incredible. Exactly. I, I like how you're combining that because, you know, you're learning discipline from doing the races and the, the Ironman and all that. But then, yeah, you're able to, to translate into business as well, which is perfect. That's great. Exactly. All right. So I've got a few, you know, fun, quick questions for you here. Quick answers as well. Are you ready for this? Go ahead. We'll All see. Right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you could only speak one language for the rest of your life, what language would you choose and why? I speak Polish, English, Italian, French, and a little bit of Spanish. Which of them gives me access to more people? And probably mm. English is the winning one, right? Most yeah. of the people speak English out of the list of languages that I mentioned, which are kind of close to me. So I, I would pick English. I think it gives me access to allows me to communicate with the biggest number of people. Interesting. I like that approach too, actually. It's so great. When you travel, you can see how people open up when you when you start speaking their language, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. really language is about communication. Mm-hmm. And if you ask uh, if I could only pick one, so I couldn't really you know, change from language to language. Sure. It would be like, so, so which language gives me the, the capacity, the capability to speak to many? people wherever i go and probably english is the is the key i love it if you could live in any country in the world let's go with that which which one would you choose 
Yeah, that's that's a tough one. That's a tough one because um, <laughs> you know we are <laughs> we are we are linked with so many things. You know, family, school, children, friends, and uh, but still, I, I need sunshine and I need the sea. I need uh, mountains. I love skiing. So, so I think I would, I would go for Italy. Mm, okay. Yeah, love I it. lived in Italy for half a year already, and mm. I, I really loved it. So I would say it's like like second home country for me, and probably. I would pick that one. There's much much more sun than in Poland. I've heard so many wonderful things about Italy and, and talked to people who have lived there or from there, but I've never had a chance to visit yet. It's wonderful. You know, it's uh, tasting the cuisine, the, yeah. the food, the wines, uh, you know, the views, the landscape, uh, the sea, the mountains, the sports, the culture, yeah. the history. You've got every there, everything there, right? You really do, actually. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. Okay, so have you ever encountered a word or a phrase that does not directly translate into another language correctly? Or even at all? So many. Uh, (laughs) So many, you know. uh, I used to work as a translator in my early days. And, you know, each time that someone wants to be funny and then you have to translate it and, you know, no, it doesn't translate directly. And you cannot (laughs) translate jokes or you cannot translate certain expressions, which, you know, the speaker is so proud about and you really don't know what to do with this. So, So I was in this difficult situations many times and it's pretty frequent how do you overcome that just kind of curious you can have another joke that you that you say or or you just describe to more or less say something that matches the intentions okay. of the of the speaker but basically i don't think i was good in that and mm. that's why i i always thought that you know being interpreter or translator is not really for me i was more passionate about growing business about sales about mm. meeting clients being present internationally, speaking at conferences. I love that part of business, growing it. But being a translator, I think there are people who are much smarter and much better to do it. I'm, I'm yeah. surely not the one. <laughs> yeah, but it gave you good experience. I, I used to do it though. for some time, but yeah. Yeah, no, I understand. What's a favorite foreign language film or book that you have? When I had to travel to Croatia, it's over a thousand kilometers. And I was really tired and I have played the book by David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me. Mm. I think this, this book really kept my attention for like 12 hours and it's yeah. unbelievable. So excellent. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. I would love it if you could share some interesting cultural customs and or even traditions that are in your country and also in your community. Just some fun ones, some interesting ones, things that we should know about. There is this tradition for foreign languages in my family. So maybe it's not particularly Polish, but it's very close to my heart because my grandfather, he was speaking, I think, eight or 10 languages. So my father grew up in this tradition of willing to communicate in the language of the person that we meet Mm. just to make this encounter comfortable and also nice from this perspective to the person that we meet. And this is something that I, I loved seeing my grandfather do. I love, love seeing my father do. So try to speak the language of the person that you meet. And I try to incorporate in my life. It's not very Polish, but it's surely very much Nedoma yeah. <laughs> tradition. Yeah. And probably this is the, the one that is really close to, uh, close to my heart. It shaped my uh, career. It shaped basically my drive to meet people, to travel, to be international. From the traditions that I meet internationally when I travel, I love the tradition relating to the cuisine, the table, Mm -hmm. uh, to how they eat. You know, when I started to travel to uh, France and Italy and Belgium, I have realized how natural it is to 
match wine with food. I'm not coming from the country where wine is the most popular drink. And I really appreciated how deep the knowledge and culture is, how deeply it is rooted in people and how naturally they, uh, they mix taste, they, they match taste so that the drink and the food, they accompany each other and reach each other and at the same time help digestion. So it's not about, you know, drinking alcohol. It's re really about enriching the taste of the food and all the senses that participate in, in appreciating this. So it's, it's really uh, this tradition of, uh, table kitchen. I really love, I really love that. Uh, when I recently was to Portugal, you know, these tables that are, finished with tiles, mm. very nice azulejos or these blue kind of uh, square shaped tiles that are put on the, on the table, which makes it already beautiful. However simple it is made, it's, it's something amazing. And of course, all this seafood that then enters to this table with yeah. great olives and wine. It's, it's something absolutely amazing. And of course, all this happens typically in the garden. So people eat outside. I love these types of family gatherings, family meetings which happen outside in a very sunny, cheerful atmosphere, always accompanied by fantastic food and wine. I love it. Mm. In, in now that I started to talk, you know, my mind kind of opens up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Portugal, yeah, yeah. Portugal rings the bell with, with Fado, which is fantastic music. We might, we might say that it is sometimes rather sad or uh, mm. sad type of music uh, in, in terms of tones. But this is also very traditional and to me, very romantic, close to my ear. That's neat. Uh, so I love it. Part of the reason I, I love asking this question too is that I may be one of the only ones that experiences this, but here in the United States, we are seeing traditions and cultural customs here kind of dissipate. We're losing it. And so you're just seeing people kind of doing their own thing now and they're trying to get rid of old traditions and customs, you know, because they don't want mm -hmm. that anymore. And so it's kind of sad to see that, you know, because I feel like that when you can remember the cultures and the customs and the traditions and get to know them and understand, you know, like you're even talking about family gatherings and it's centered around good food, good drink, you know, like that, that's a neat thing. You know, you don't, you don't see a lot of that around here either. So it, it's a good thing to kind of remember that these are important things and, you know, they shape us and they are, they're worth celebrating. So certain habits that become traditional that come from tradition they also often mark is a certain rhythm of life whether it is yeah. the rhythm of the year or this is the rhythm of time people gather regularly because you know this, this sunday uh, lunch or dinner can can mark a special moment every week or it, it can be you know some festivities that we that we celebrate they mark certain rhythm whether it is in you know, biology calendar or just, or just our life. It's useful to maintain it because probably it brings certain peace and equilibrium to, to our life because we just grew in this. And at the same time, like I said, I really love appreciating other traditions because I think it's important to stay open, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes traditions can be very contradictory one yeah. to each other. Yeah, true. So I think it's important to have this respect uh, to, to everyone. Their traditions might be totally different and yeah. we might very comfortably also be involved and immersed in the, their tradition. If we just open up, we want to meet them in their countries, in their homes. And, and in that sense, appreciate how they pass life, how they mark time, how they see this rhythm and with what events they mark it. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, that's neat. One of my favorite 
cultural experience slash traditional custom that I got to uh, experience. This was many years ago now was a Chinese tea ceremony and was, oh, yeah. was not planned. It was one of those that we were on a night market and we saw this, this uh, woman selling tea. She didn't even speak English at all. And we had a friend of ours that spoke Chinese. And so she was able to, you know, to talk to her and everything like that. And the woman just called us over and did a full on traditional tea ceremony for us. And it was a uh, fresh Jasmine tea. It was unbelievable, but I had never yeah. experienced it. I mean, you know, I'd seen it, but I'd never experienced anything like it. And of course it was the Chinese version. I know um, on, on movies and stuff, you see the Japanese tea ceremony much more publicized than a Chinese one. But anyway, yeah. it was just, it was a very, very exciting experience. And then you find out later that, you know, it's not very common for most Westerners to experience that either. So that was another very special moment, but I love that. I love experiencing other cultures, customs and traditions. And like you said, you're respecting it. You're immersing in it. You're learning about it. I think it's so exciting. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of traveling. That's the beauty of, you know, uh, going internationally and just meeting people and trying to understand them. Yeah, exactly. I know it's fun to do. Well, so I know you said you spent some time in Italy. You spent about what, six months or so. And you were were doing some studies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Talk talk about that experience a little bit. Yeah. So it was Erasmus. This is like an exchange program for students in uh, Europe. So I had the uh, luck of participating in, in one. So one semester of studies rather than doing it as usually in Krakow, I did it in Italy, in Bergamo, north of Italy, fantastic place, uh, very close to the Alps. So it was a beautiful landscape that I could see from my windows. And of course, I could take my skis and go and, mm-hmm. and go skiing in, like in half an hour distance. But at the same time, it was a fantastic international experience. Because, you know, all, all the students, most of the students there were from other countries. Of course, there were lots of Italians, but there were also lots of, like me, other international students. So it was mm-hmm. fantastic time. I wouldn't say it was purely about studying. Probably there was much less of studying than socializing, than understanding other stories, other lives. You know, the the, the biggest discovery there for me was that I went there feeling so lucky, like I really am doing something amazing, coming from Poland for half a year studying in Italy. And there I met so many people who just had their stop in Italy because before they were studying in UK and then teaching English in, you know, Kuwait and then going to Australia Mm -hmm. or uh, visiting Nepal or going to China, whatever. So they were like living truly international life, truly Mm -hmm. international experience. I was amazed. So I realized how much was for me was already a big achievement for other was the basics. Yeah. So, so you can see how this international contacts and experience can help you also increase your appetite, mm. move the horizon, right? Because what you saw is already good. You can see, no, 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 look, you can do much more. And you, and you see the examples of people who, who did it or who are doing this. And it's super motivating and it also opens your eyes for lots of possibilities uh, and lots of lots of things that you can do in life. So it was a truly opening experience. That's so good. It seems like whenever I I go to, you know, different places, different countries and stuff, you know, if you're if you're there doing the tourist thing, you just mm-hmm. don't you don't experience as much, I feel like, versus if you can go and immerse yourself in the culture with the people, live life yeah. with them day to day. That's where you really get the most out of it. So now you you said you speak Polish English, Italian, and French. Did I miss anything? Yeah, a bit of Spanish, but you know, I kind Spanish of invent too. Spanish because, you know, <laughs> speaking Italian and French, I understand Spanish. I can speak yeah. it. I had this episode in my professional career that uh, we had a partner in Spain that was 
supposed to promote us uh, in on the Spanish market. And uh, I planned to do the sales trainings for them because it's also part of my career today. Uh, as a consultant, I also train sales teams. I help people build sales team. I, I build sales strategies for organizations and so on. So, but I was giving sales trainings as well. And uh, I thought, well, for the partner that want to promote our software, I, I do the sales training for their team as well. So I went to Madrid and met them and went in front of the team that were gathered there and started to do my sales training. And I realized they don't speak English. They said, so, so what language do you speak? And, and they said Spanish. And I was very surprised because I never spoke really Spanish before. And, yeah. and I realized I have to do this training in Spanish. And I started to speak Spanish, inventing it from Italian and French, which was super funny. And my colleagues that went there with me to Spain were really laughing at uh, how I was building words, uh, <laughs> trying to make them, make them sound Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but those, those, those languages are really close. So yeah. my two weeks in Peru, which I spent like few, few years before, gave me the basis for my Spanish. So I do a little, a little bit of Spanish as well. That's great. So I'm curious to know, though, how speaking these multiple languages and, and even learning them too, how it's impacted your life in general, but also your perspective. Very much, because like I said at the beginning, for me, the language is the, is the tool that I use to communicate with people mm-hmm. and open them up, right? Because if you, you go to France and you speak English, they, of course, try to communicate with you. But if you speak French, even if it's not perfect, mm-hmm. they see the effort and they, they see that you want to be easier communicator for them, right? So you make an effort and they open up. So, so to me, speaking many languages was, you know, any country that speak this language and I could use it. Just people were very open, helpful, friendly willing to suggest what I should see or do or invite me somewhere. So, so it's, so it's amazing. I, yeah. I really love it. And it's whether it is, you know, France or Italy or even, uh, you know, South uh, California, you speak to people in the hotel, you know, hotel service. Most of the people are, are, are Spanish speaking. And when I uh, start speaking to them in Spanish, it's a, it's already a, a bond, right? That yeah. creates immediately and, and you can have wonderful meeting with a person who just serves you coffee yeah. at the hotel. And I, I love that. So there you go. Learn languages. It's a very important thing. And, and not, not only is it fun to do and it's important to do, but like you said, it you go to a level where you can respect and honor that person and then build a friendship, build a connection. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, of course, you know, it's not like the goal that you have like a business goal that, you know, since they will love me more, they will do something for me. That's not the goal, but True. but as a human, you want to be, you know, friendly to them. And also you want to be sure that you can be understood because it's not yeah. taken for granted that they will speak English for sure. They will not oh, speak Polish, sure. but even though it changes right now, because, you know, there is so many polls all around the world that uh, when you go to UK or Ireland or, or some parts of United States, uh, there's so many Polish people that you can even try with Polish, but but truly English would be the basic, but not everyone will speak English. So, mm-hmm. so knowing more languages gives you more chances still to create the bond, which will totally change the experience of the place. Yeah. Okay. This is great advice so far. And since we are on the topic of translation, did you know that at Lexigo, we work with thousands of brands across the globe to help them communicate with confidence in over 171 languages? I'm sorry, I don't speak Japanese. And that's okay, because whether you're translating website content, marketing materials, legal documents, or more, 
Lexigo has the expertise and technology to ensure that your message is communicated effectively and accurately to your global audience. Qua, qui, sir, p, me, coo. Don't let language barriers and inaccurate translations hold you back from success or even winning a Japanese game show. Choose Lexigo for all of your translation and multicultural communication needs and experience the peace of mind that comes with knowing that your message is communicated accurately every time. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about your time at XTRF. So I'm curious yeah. what the first ever market or language was that you started with that was outside the original language of the product, by the way. Well, the original language was English, right? We never did it in Polish. We, it already started as international product uh, available internationally. So we, of course, had it in English as the first language. Then the second language, I think we added, uh, you know, the major European languages in the first place, which would be uh, Spanish, Italian, French, German and Russian. Okay. And Polish was there. Poland was not really. A particular market for us, like we were based in Poland, the headquarters was in Poland. So of course, most of our employees were based in Polish, in Poland. Okay. However, the majority of our clients, like 95% were non from Poland, right? So okay. they were international. So it was, it was clear that, you know, we have to look at languages also through the same lenses as myself personally. So how many people does it give the software access to? So how mm. many people can, you know, use the software because we translate it into so many languages? We have to remember that uh, XTRF was a product with a like, management system for managing and automation of projects for translation markets or translation projects. So most of our clients were translation companies. Later, it was also corporate translation or localization departments. So these people that typically work with languages. So for them, English was pretty easy, right? It was natural for them. Most of our clients were speaking English. So already with English, we were good. And then it was more of adding languages because we knew that, you know, Germany is a strong economy close to us. We had a strong competitor in Germany. So it was good to have a, a language of, of this market as well. So we added German. Then Spanish, it opens, uh, you know, us not only for Spain, but also, uh, South America. So it was like natural. It covers a lot of countries and millions of people. So it was useful to have Spanish. And, and, and this is the way that we're adding languages. Yeah. However, we also distinguished what we understood by uh, or what we were localizing, right? What we were translating. Because since our main users were translation companies, we knew they are comfortable with at least one of the languages like English, French, Italian, Spanish. Most of them spoke at least one. So they were good. However, their clients who are corporates and our clients had clients internationally, their clients, and they were from lots of different industries, not from the language industries, right? So, so they were surely not as proficient in English or other languages. So we knew that we have to translate the customer portal, like the customer interface into many more languages than the main. Home portal, as we call it. So, yeah. so the main interface for project managers. So we had to distinguish this. And if you look at how many languages have we translated the customer portal into, I think it was like 20 or something languages. Okay. While the main interface was translated into, I think eight language versions or maybe, maybe 10 at the end. So you can see at the big difference, depending on, on whom you want to impact, right? Okay. So when you were specifically looking at one of the countries, 
you're in the product development process in this. Uh, do you have a specific example on how you actually incorporated the localization when going into, you know, pick one of the countries that you, you went into, countries slash languages? We originally had translation company. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a, really a big issue for us. The okay. system was prepared for localization, right? Because it's the question, you know, to what extent you can basically uh, and how easy you can extract the, the messages from the code, the messages that you visualize in the user interface, right? Today, it is much more evident that it was in the past. So in the past, there was a question, how do we get all this text extracted? And then we can translate it and somehow enable using different or defining different language versions in the user interface. Since we were coming from the translation industry, we knew there is need for it. And we knew that our product will be multilingual. Mm -hmm. So from the very beginning, we had this enabled, uh, and it's like pretty easy. The text is typically put in the, in the separate file. And there is a list of all the messages or, or names of functions and so on and the menus in the separate file. And this is this separate files become the source for translation. This is the content that you translate. And in the programming code, you just need to refer to this file so that you retrieve the right message from the right. You can imagine this as a right column where each column would represent a individual language. And basically the code would just call for the text and indicate in which language it should appear in a, in a given moment. So the system was prepared that way. It wasn't so, let's say, difficult for us. It's rather the okay. question of how you prepare the teams that translate yeah. so that they can do the right work, right? Because, you know, one is, can you extract the, the document and then send for, to someone for translation, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at user interface, it's not easy to translate typically because, you know, you have the whole program, but the menu is composed of a few one words, names of uh, functions or or modules in the system, right? And knowing the system very well, you know what each of these menu items stand for, right? But yeah. if your translator is not the user of your system, how will he know what yeah. is this about, right? Yeah. So it's about how can you provide the context to the translator so that even those short messages or function names or module names are properly understood by the translator so that he can really or she select the right wording in his language in such a way that it sounds naturally for the user in this specific language. This was a big, big question. And we are really organizing trainings for our translators. And later we were creating partnerships with our users mm. so that we could select from the pool of our users the one that would become our linguistic partners, right? Because it was, it was the best way to guarantee that our translators really know what they translate. They know the context because they are also the users of our system, mm. right? So establishing this type of part- partnership with at least, you know, one partner who lives and works in the country that uses the language that we want to translate to. This was the key, I think, to, to successful localization of the system. Okay. So that, I mean, that really is the feedback and the market research that takes care of that as well. It seems like, because you've actually got your, your translator is also your customer from that region. So that Mm -hmm. helped your strategy and that helped you to customize as necessary is what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. That's great. And by the way, you know, it was also the trigger for some of the, of the language versions that we were putting into the system because 
if we had an important client that we wanted to win, but he knew he would need specific interface translated for his people into his language or for his client into particular client's language, then this was an incentive for us to say, okay, so, so you want this language, whether it is, I don't know, Latvian, Estonian, or, or, you know, some of the less frequent languages. And we would say, good, that's a good idea. You can go for it. Can you become our partner for that? Mm-hmm. Right. And we could even make it part of the deal. Both incentivized to do it, to do it right. Right. For us, it was a huge um, incentive to, to make this language version enabled so that this customer could really start using our system. Yeah. And since this customer in this, in the same time was starting to use our system and wanted to provide the language version that is suitable for his customers, he was also motivated to do it quickly and surely to the great quality. So understanding the whole context and, uh, you know, translating the perfect meaning. That's great. Going along with what you've been saying here, maybe from a little bit higher level view, though, is how did you balance the needs of the different international markets, but yet also ensuring that your products were globally successful? Yeah, there have to be the balance. Uh, and you really have to understand whether the specific requirements that you are being informed by the client are the requirements of this one particular client or they are the requirement of this particular country, for yeah, example. That's good, they're good point. Rel- related to a country like, you know, invoicing or tax regulation is, is basically for the country, right? So yeah. whatever client you would get in Italy, there is a specific way that you should produce invoices in Italy, right? Whatever client you would get in Portugal or, or, or Spain, there is a certain taxation method that you should apply to your invoices or or you have the same in, in the United States. We are talking about the country which for us as a company is very promising, is very prospective. We can have a lot of clients. We have a lot of potential clients from this country and we see an idea which describes particular need for the country. Of course, such ideas are ranked higher, right? Mm-hmm. If this is a particular need of just one client, then you really have to evaluate, uh, you know, different things. First is to what extent this idea is in line with our vision of development of the system. And then the second is, you know, would it be, would it be only for this client or would other clients also benefit from this idea? Yeah. When we start building the, the software like we had in XTRF, you of course want to be very kind to everyone and, and are eager to accept ideas so that the system grows in the direction where, you know, customers help you to understand is, is useful and, and, and good from the market perspective. But very soon you realize that you get so many ideas, so many requests that you'll never finish doing them yeah. in, you know, the, the defined period of time, right? So, yeah. so you quickly have to start managing requests, managing ideas. I think this was a big shift, you know, big change in the way we think about this and, and how we also had to manage this. I think the example that we used was from Starbucks hmm. because Starbucks has this possibility to send them your idea for improvement of whatever it is, the process, the product, whatever you like or don't like about Starbucks. And they put this on the list of ideas that other users can vote on, right? Uh So others can also, so not only you as the owner of the company, but other users can also express their likes or dislikes about this idea or comment on that. Interesting. And what, whatever they do, 
you can set up the system in such a way that it changes, it influences the ranking, right? You can add points or you can reduce the points, the likes and dislikes uh, about this idea. And in that way, you can really structure all the ideas that you gather in a certain ranking where you see, you know, there are ideas that nobody comments or nobody, you know, expresses like or dislike. So probably it is not something like a hot topic for many people because nobody talks about this, mm -hmm. right? But there are other ideas that really spark discussions, quarrels, other suggestions, development of these ideas. And you see it's, it's like a living topic. And you know, well, this one is truly important because people want to talk about this. So, so you are invited to understand this subject better. And probably since this is ranked so highly by the community, you'll, you know, this is important and probably you should include this in, uh, in your roadmap, at yeah. least analyze this. Of course, the question is, you know, how much time from your roadmap, which means how much time from your developer's time dedicated to developing the product, you can devote to the ideas coming from the community. How much of that you devote to your ideas, where you want to take the product to which, you know, directions of development or which, which business functions you are to cover with this. You have to manage your, your roadmap and, and really understand whether you can respond to 10% of the highest ranked ideas raised by the community of users, or you can do, do it with 5% or 1%, mm -hmm. you know, you, you respond to 10 out of 1000 or you respond to 500 out of 1000, right? I think Starbucks has like hundreds of thousands of ideas and they incorporate. So they realize like 10 or 20 in terms of numbers, right? Yeah. 10 of 20 ideas out yeah. of 100,000, right? So this is very tiny portion. Depending on how much you can do, you really will balance that factor of your engagement into these ideas. But I think this is, this is a huge topic. I'm not sure if you can find the perfect solution to it, but surely, you know, listening to customers, paying attention to which ideas really indicate some circumstances that are valid for the whole country or for the whole region. This is important because this can be a good indicator towards what you should do if you want to be present in the given market and also what can become your competitive advantage if you do it, because mm -hmm. then you can promote it to this region, to this country and say, Hey, by the way, we'll listen to you. And we know this is how you should do it in whatever Italy, France, Germany. And now for this market, we have something specific, a specific solution. Mm -hmm. And hopefully this will generate good cooperation in this, in these markets. Uh, well, I love that. And, and I'm glad you shared that strategy that Starbucks uses because it's, it's a great one to use. I, I'm assuming this is what they did and I'm assuming this is what you've done as well, but providing your customers and, and, you know, potential clients and customers with specific suggestions, questions, you know, so that they can get involved on a specific level. Because if there's one thing that I've seen is that if you ask a general question, they don't know what they want. But if you give them something specific to respond to or to react to even, that's where you get the emotionally charged ideas, responses, suggestions, that kind of thing. When you engage your community in this discussion, sometimes they can produce questions or ask for some specifications or some development of the idea, suggesting directions that you wouldn't think of. You know, it's better if it's not just one brain thinking about all of these topics, yeah. but, you know, a thousand of people who think about that. Yeah. And by the way, sometimes, you know, questions can also lead to 
uh, uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. where you know the idea is not great, yeah. right? How can you, how will you say it to your client, right? And sometimes you can be surprised that before you say anything, someone will say from the community, look, you, you should look at this, uh, you know, from another perspective and it will make more sense. And then you say, oh yeah, maybe you're right. The situation is, is kind of cleaned without your participation, which can be much, you know, easier from the customer management perspective as well. I appreciate that. That's a great example. Now, you, you know, you've seen a lot. I, I know you've, you've done a lot with translation, language, translators point of view as well. Also with your success with XTRF and now you're, you know, you're advising and consulting now. So obviously you have just a wealth of knowledge and experience. So I'm curious what you think the future of translation is going to look like as we move forward. Yeah, that's, that's the big question, especially that there is so many technologies that uh, are popping up on the market related to deep learning, to machine translation, to AI. There is lots of these buzzwords that we hear everywhere, but, but really translation market is affected. Already the machine translation impacts a lot how the translations are produced, right? For, for many years, machine translation was there and we could hear lots of examples of how machine translation produces bad, bad translation. Yeah. So still humans are better. But, you know, recently, not only machine translation is pretty good. We accepted that, you know, maybe for some, some business goals, a text translated by machine is okay. For example, if you read something in Chinese, you don't know Chinese at all, and you just want to understand what this text is more or less about, right? In that case, probably machine translation is just enough just for you to understand whether this is really a, a recipe to, to how to cook a cake or is this, uh, you know, a business report, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing Chinese, without knowing Chinese, you wouldn't know about even that level of understanding of the text and machine translation will surely do a great job for you. But then also we can incorporate machine and humans in the same process yeah, and say, yeah. typically, by the way, the, the translation process is composed of different steps. It's like translation, proofreading, editing, you know, there are different steps and different people can participate in that, right? And we can say, okay, so maybe the first step will be taken by a machine translation. So machine translation engine mm-hmm. and we'll have machine translation, but then some humans will do the proofreading and editing so that it, this text can still be taken to the very nice human quality level. And why not? Uh, the advantage will be, of course, that the, that the machine translation will do it much faster because it's automated. Yeah. The proofreading probably will be more difficult because different types of mistakes are done by machines than yeah. by humans. Maybe it will be more difficult, but, but you know, it will still in total produce the output, the, the final content in your language faster than two humans working on this. So this is one, and, and this is already happening. The other thing is, you know, we, we all talked about chat GPT recently and, and how it impacts. And I really like this vision that we translate content if it's easier to translate it from the source language than to generate it in the new language originally, right? Mm. So we have to decide whether we translate or we generate content in different languages. So GPT can generate content. And if you ask a question, can you generate it in French? It will generate it in French. It may, works in many languages. The process again might change. So it might be that we'll see less translation, but more of, uh, you know, like a copywriting adaptation of the content, which is already produced in many languages. I think where it all aims at is that if we want to ask the question, 
will old way of making translations of doing translations still work in five, 10 years from now? I don't think so. It, it, I would say surely it will not, but will the world need humans to participate in multilingual content creation? That's for sure. But we are using this term in a totally different way. We don't talk about translations. We talk about multilingual communication. We talk about multilingual content, right? And multilingual communication can incorporate lots of processes and lots of, lots of tools. So it can happen in different ways. And we are used to the world that only humans could participate in that. Now we'll see more tools that also can be part of this process. But as long as we talk about not the translation as the term, but multilingual communication, multilingual content, we are open to include in these terms lots of different professions that participate in this task, right? Yeah. To, to transmit the knowledge, to transmit the, uh, you know, message internationally. And whether these people will be translating as it used to be, or they will be editing the translation generated by machine, or they will be making sure that the content which was created automatically is valid. Mm-hmm. It's still, uh, you know, a part of the process to help communities communicate globally. And I think there will be still a lot of involvement done by humans. The needs are growing. This market is growing year to year very much. So lots of people ask this question about the future yeah. uh, with the relation to will translators have work? Will people have work? Will yeah. we be all replaced? No, we'll not be all replaced, but we might have different roles within this bigger task of multilingual communication. That would be my, sure. my take. Okay. No, I, I appreciate that. And I really think, you know, tech is going to be just additional tools, but ideally not replacements. Yeah. So tech and, human, said, I love it. tech and humans, I think that's, that's always the great combination. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Anjay, I really appreciate it. I mean, this is some great information and, uh, you know, you've talked so much about how you provide a truly native experience, you know, whether it's on a personal level of you learning languages and being able to communicate directly. Like you even said, just someone that's that's serving you coffee somewhere, you're able to have a great conversation with that person, develop a friendship, honor and respect that person. I love it. The Starbucks example was great, you know, on how you are able to actually communicate directly, but also even talking about how your translators are also customers. I mean, you, you've provided a lot of information on this. So do you have any final tips for how we can go out there and always do our best to provide that native experience? I would say, you know, start with the, the word respect, you know, think about how you can respect this person to the fullest so that he feels the most comfortable in the situation he, and he meets you. Because, you know, like we said, the, the world is changing, technology is there, the processes are, are being changed. But I think this, this fact that we should respect people, appreciate them. It is valid and it will remain valid, whatever tools we use. Yeah. Uh, and whether it means that you will try to use the language of your customers or you will try to make your technology easy to use, to be used by any type of user. This is all about expressing respect to people that surround you, that somehow meet you along your journey. Just respect people and like them and think about what it means in any given situation and probably this will provide the most native experience for these people that you're standing in front of just right now. I love it. I love it. Anjay, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I appreciate your time and I appreciate everything that you shared with us today. So thank you for joining us. 
Thank you. On Jane Nadoma, co-founder and former CEO of XTRF Management Systems and now currently CEO of Nadoma.io. Anjay, thank you. So good. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for joining me today. Really appreciate you joining us here on the show, checking it out. Love for you to subscribe to the show so you do not miss any further episodes. We've got episodes coming out weekly. We've got so many guests coming, so much good information on the way, and I hope it really helps you in your journey for localization and translation and providing a truly native experience. Love to hear from you. Send us questions, comments, suggestions, everything on over at nx at lexigo.com. That is nx at lexigo.com. Have a glorious week and remember, always strive for authenticity and embrace the power of native experiences.